The Lifestyle Show on RTE Radio 1 Extra. Hello and welcome to The Lifestyle Show with me, Tara Lockery-Grant on RTE Radio 1 Extra. This is the weekly show and podcast where we talk to some of the most inspiring people whose work, programmes and interviews we feature on rte.ie forward slash lifestyle and also in the lifestyle section of the RTE News Now app. The areas that we focus on, living, parenting, finance, fitness, health, food, fashion, travel, careers, motors and much more. And many of those we feature here are household names. Many others should be and will no doubt be as they go about inspiring people in their day-to-day lives. Today, we're talking to... Very important to get bees that are local as well. One thing I will say, if you want to start beekeeping, don't rely on the internet. It's very dangerous. Beekeeping varies an awful lot all over the world. The bees, the type of hives, the seasons are totally different in different countries, so you can really easily let astray. That is the voice of Dr. Owen McGillicuddy, who is a beekeeper and an expert when it comes to bees and honey in Ireland. And I'm really excited to talk to him. I have hay fever. One of my kids has really bad allergies. And um, there's lots. I love honey. What's what's not to love? Plus, we're always really interested. Some stories that did, you know, a lot of traffic over the last couple of years of what are happening to bees worldwide. What is happening to them in our own areas? There's a lot of talk about extinction. Let's get some answers today and also find out how do you beekeep in Ireland. Dr. Owen, you're very welcome. Thanks very much. Should I call you Dr. Owen all the way? No, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are a PhD man. So, um, you know, we, we, how did you, let's go, go backwards before we come to talking beekeeping and honey today. How did your love of this whole area begin? Uh, well, I was brought up with bees. Um, I'm a fourth generation beekeeper and um, my father's a beekeeper and uh, he was he was uh, grew up in Kerry and his father was a beekeeper. Wow, um, fourth generation beekeeper generation. in Ireland. Yeah. Um, I say there aren't too many of those. Uh, there's there's a, there's a few, a, yeah. a handful, you know, but it's uh, there's a long tradition of beekeeping in Ireland. So uh, originally uh, in Ireland, you know, going back a couple of generations, you would have had bees and maybe every third or fourth household would have had bees just a couple of hives uh, to provide honey because uh, sugar wouldn't have been available. It would have been too expensive. So honey was a, a, actually a cheap substitute at the time. Do you know what, Owen? I'm always thinking of people like yourselves. I'm, I'm always sourcing local honey. OK, it's not cheap. It's not as cheap as what's in the stores, but it's not expensive. OK, but you cannot find for love nor money in most of the big retailers local and I mean local, uh, Irish-produced honey. A lot of it will say that it's bottled here. And the not, whereas when you look in the detail, and by the way, that detail is getting smaller and cheekier every single bottle that you go across. I'm nearly an expert on, on about 20 or 30 different labels. And people think I'm mad. They come back and they go, no, it is Irish. And I go, no, no, I'll, it's, no it's okay. No, I'll get it. <laughs> so what is going on? Well, first of all, uh, there's about in Ireland about ninety percent of our honey is actually imported. Uh, a lot of it is actually quite um, shocking. poor quality honey. You know, it comes from countries uh, where the beekeepers are, to tell you the truth, not paid very little for their honey. So, I mean, the quality of the honey is great, not great. And then it is actually usually um, processed. It's it's pasteurized, which honey is a very delicate food. So, when you have the pasteurization, and then 
fine filtration, it can actually have a serious detrimental effect on the honey. Uh, you're right, a lot of the honeys, uh, you won't find local honey in, in, in a, a major supermarket, you know, um, and uh, you will find a lot of ones that look like Irish honey and have Irish names, but it's important to read the label, as you say, and yeah, use your magnifying glass to look at to see where it comes from. Um, if you want to get local honey, the best thing is to find a local beekeeper. And if you don't know that, go to there's um, the Irish beekeeping website will give you details of there's about 60 beekeeping associations uh, around the country and you get contact details and just basically contact the secretary of your local association and they can t- put you in the right direction. Brilliant. Really, really good. We must put those details up as well um, in the article on rt.e forward slash lifestyle. And on what about this hay fever? Is there truth in it? Because one of the reasons I've been going to buy and source local honey and I found my beekeeper thanks to the site. um, You know, one of the reasons I've been doing that is because I believe and it's definitely helped me. That's all I can speak about is that locally sourced honey. So pollen collected in my area by bees in the area um, from plants in the area has helped me with my honey. That I can say. With my honey, with my hay fever, that I can say, I can't speak. Is there is there medical advice there? Is there medical proof? Uh, there is very little because um, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence, but there is no pharmaceutical company is going to invest like you know uh, thousands of pounds to, to show that honey uh, you know has these uh, benefits because you know they've no uh, they're not going to get any profit out of it. Um, this theory came up uh, a couple of decades ago, and basically you know the. Um, Local honey will contain pollen from your area, and the, the theory is that then you know if you suffer from hay fever, you will it's the pollen in the air. Obviously, that has an effect on you. Um, and the important thing is that it has to be. It has to be when you say local, you know that is actually Irish. I mean, local doesn't mean uh, the same street. Hey. You know, so uh, because Ireland is tiny, it's tiny, and the forage, the, the flowers that the bees work on, you know, is quite the same all over the country. The most important thing is that the honey has to have pollen, and if you get the imported honeys, as I said, they go through a fine filter and removes an awful lot of the pollen. Whereas if you get a local honey, the beekeeper, all the beekeeper does generally is just strain it through a rough strainer, uh, some muslin or something like that. Uh, just take out bits of wax and that. But the pollen remains in it. So local honey would contain the, uh, probably just less than about 1% pollen. And it's the pollen, those little tiny little pollen grains uh, seem to have a, a, a benefit. Now, as I said, there's um, there's no scientific proof. Um but uh, from my experience, a lot of my customers would, would swear by it, especially for children, you know. And the thing about taking honey for hay fever, it's not going to do you any harm. It's, you know, it's, if anything, it's going to do you good. It's a natural um, sugar as well, yeah, much better than sprinkling sugar. Compared to a lot of the, you know, a lot of the medications for hay fever, uh, you know, have a lot of side effects. Um, so, um, the, you know, it's, it's well worth trying. And as you said, a lot of people swear by it. I know? do. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, that's all I can speak about is from my own experience. And I'm really excited to see if it's going to work um, on my son yeah. uh, this year coming around. Yeah, with it, the it, it, it's, season. it's important that you actually, that the person take, takes it for a good bit before the hay fever We season. have been yeah. on it. We are on it since yeah. I heard about it last year. So I'm re- this is the first season, though. So I'm really excited to see. Um, he's just turned seven. So I'm excited oh, right, for him yeah, to yeah, see yeah. if that itching and the nose scratching and the watery eyes. So I will be back and we will be talking yeah. again on and I'm, I am really excited to see that. But um, so going back then, beekeeping, how do you, it is sad, like with a lot of things, to think that a lot of our families would have done it, um, you know, like with the vegetable patches all over the country, that, and now we don't because of time and money and everything. But how do you beekeep? 
The, mo- uh, the most important thing, beekeeping is, uh, you know, there's been a lot of movement in recent years about like, you know, um, allotments and people growing their own vegetables and even keeping chickens. Beekeeping is a little bit more complicated because um, bees are insects. So their life cycle is much more complicated than, say, a, cy- a life cycle of a chicken or a pig. Or So the most important thing to, to get that information is to contact your local beekeeping association. And all of nearly all of those run beginners courses. I, I'm actually uh, running the one in County Loud. I had a session last night. Um, and if you join uh, your local association uh, and do the beginners course, you'll meet local beekeepers. They can mentor you and help you get local bees. Very important to get bees that are local as well uh, and help you get set up, advise you where to get the best equipment. One thing I will say if you want to start beekeeping, don't rely on the internet it is very dangerous because okay. beekeeping varies an awful lot all over the world the bees the type of hives the uh, the seasons are totally different in different countries so you can be really easily led astray uh, by so it's really important is it's to, to contact uh, the local association and the local beekeepers okay now one thing that intrigued me there I can imagine that you can go to I don't know where but you're going to tell us to get all your beekeeping equipment where do you go to buy the bees uh, the most important is, is try to get as locally as possible. But like, is there a shop? No, no, it isn't. <laughs> uh, and uh, bees are are in high demand. You know, there's because there's a lot of people have, have started beekeeping in recent times, and Good. Uh, they're always looking for bees. It's very important to get them locally uh, because um, because you know one thing you if you get them from someone you know, then if there you have problems, you, you can uh, come back to them. Um, as well as that, often uh, the local bees are more adapted to your local area. Okay. A lot of beekeeping associations w- would um, run breeding programs to breed bees for wow. beginners and provide beginners with starter hives uh, and that. Or else just beekeepers, often beekeepers have a surplus of um, you know, a couple of hives at the end of the year and you know that, that's where you can get them. You Do you know, know what? We really know a lot about buying um, or buying or, or going to the DSPCA for, for animals, okay, to, mm. to rehome them, adopt them, which is obviously better than maybe buying them or, or risking puppy farms in, in some areas. Obviously, it's, 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 a, it's a minefield, but people know how to approach that. They're well aware of what to do and what to look out for. And there's a lot of information there. Same with cats, same with a lot of domestic animals. With bees, I couldn't even be, I, first of all, because you can, if you get wrong, you're going to get stung. OK, um, but in more ways than one. But how do you go in and approach it? I mean, do I let's say I want to buy bees from you. What do I do? Hello, Owen, I want to buy 100. Do I how many bees do I want to buy? How do I start my hive? Well, the standard is what's known as a nucleus hive, which is basically a mini hive. And this is how you, beginners always start. And it's just uh, uh, just basically a little hive that can be expanded. The population will ex- expand. Uh, usually, the, you know, if you're a beginner, the best time to get that is during the summer. What does it look like? Are you talking about, is it the waxy part with all the holes it, in it? It's basically a, a little box and it contains about maybe six combs, which would be covered with bees and there'd be a queen in there and there'd be young bees and there'd be honey to Perfect. keep the bees fed. When you talk about, could you say cones? Combs. Combs. They are waxy. Not ba- made by the bees. I know this is going to sound really. This is we're talking right back down to bees for dummies. Uh, those, the, it's the waxy things with the holes in them. Yeah, that's, but but it is made by the bees. It's constructed by the bees themselves. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But they <laughs> David Attenborough would be so proud of me right now, yeah. um, or even Doctor Own would yeah. be so proud. So hang on, did they make that? They make the the this is beeswax. Yes, you know, uh, and they make the uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, they have, <laughs> they have special 
Sorry, Owen, of course it's beeswax. Okay. So they have special glands uh, where they can make, they can, they can turn honey into beeswax and they use that to Brilliant. construct the comb. Okay. Um, but that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, but that's very interesting because beeswax yeah. like has um, has been used for millennia yes. for different products. Um, it was a, a very popular supplement for a long time, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was used a lot in uh, creams, uh, yeah. cosmetics. All the original cosmetics were made with beeswax. You yeah. know, it's a natural, uh, it's a, a natural wax. Uh, you know, an awful lot of the modern cosmetics now are made from, say, uh, waxes that derive from, say, oil. Yes. Um, um, and uh, candles, of course, originally candles were made from beeswax, Beautiful the church candles, quality. the church candles. And when Christianity arrived into Ireland, um, beekeeping was, was big in Ireland before Christianity. But when the, the monks arrived in Ireland, uh, bees became very important because they needed the oh, beeswax brilliant. to make their candles. And, and beeswax candles are absolutely fantastic. Beautiful. You can use fresh uh, beeswax. And there was actually a tradition in the Celtic church that they had um, you had this white wax, the real purest beeswax it was called. It's called the virgin wax. And there's this kind of triangular relationship that the Celtic Church kind of envisioned between the beeswax candle, uh, the queen of the hive, who they thought was a virgin. You know, they, they're, uh, you know, and uh, research has shown that the queen actually is uh, mates with about maybe uh, up to 15 or 20 males. But they thought at the time that she was a virgin. So how did they think the babies came from? Yeah, you see, I mean, hang on, is, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling much better about my beeswax comment right yeah. now. <laughs> and, and the third one in that triangle then was the Virgin Mary. So they did this triangular relationship. So they held, they held um, beeswax and bees in high regard because of that. OK, you know? great. This is so interesting. I love it. OK, so you go in and I'll say, how's it going on? I would like to buy this nucleus, this yeah. little hive. And that's what it looks like. And what, what, what is it boxed in? What's it in? Uh, it can be in a wooden box or actually more recently polystyrene box Lovely. because the polystyrene is, is nice and Those light. Those beautiful, and typical bee-shaped uh, boxes that we see, the beehive shapes. Uh, well, it? some people have this vision of what it is. Basically, the modern beehive is not romantic at all. It's actually a, a, a usually a wooden box. With a lid. Yeah, yes. with a, r- a roof on it. Yeah. Um, but it, that, that is the modern design and it's the easiest to, to, to work with and uh, for the beekeeper and, and the bees. I, I, one of my colleagues, um, Barry O'Rourke, his father is a beekeeper as well I think you know him I know him and well, yeah. he uh, so I, he has definitely um, enlightened me about a couple of things I am going to talk to him about the beeswax but <laughs> about the shape of the hive and that uh, yes they're, they're, it's more practical now yeah, how it works yeah. okay so people come into you and they say Owen I'd like to buy I've done my course this is what I'm starting off with and how many, many bees would be in that uh, if in a starter when you're talking about maybe uh, it's small so it'll be only about 10,000 bees Jesus so Ten thousand bees in a shape of a size of what? Two by one. Uh, well, I suppose um, one and a half foot by one and a half foot, approximately. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, good actually, yeah, lord, yeah, yeah. ten thousand bees. But that's very small. I mean, um, a full hive uh, in, in in the summer would probably reach about forty to fifty thousand bees. So okay, so bring us through the cycle. When is the best time to buy? Well, if you're a beginner, I would always advise you to buy during the summer. You know, sometimes you can actually buy bees in the spring, but those bees will build up into a full size colony uh, for the summer. And but that's quite a big undertaking if you're just a beginner. But if you get your bees during the summer, you can build them up, get them ready for the winter and get used to handling them. And then the following year, then you're all set to go. You have your experience and you can start uh, and and they won't rarely would produce honey in the first year. Uh, but you're gaining experience in how to handle them. Now, talking of handling, are you, every single time you go out to your bees, do you come back in to the house with stings? 
no, no, no. Uh, I mean, this is the thing. Bees obviously sting, and there's a reason bees sting. It's it's uh, to defend themselves uh, against predators. Uh, looking at Ireland, we don't don't have any, but they still have this defensive urge. But it varies an awful lot, and beekeepers um, would breed their bees to be quite docile. My bees are generally very quiet, so I mean... How do you do that? Uh, it's just like breeding any animals. You basically... F- uh, record characteristics of your bees and then you breed from the best ones. Wow. You know? so, so how do you na- how do you pick out the best ones? Do you put little markings on them? Like uh, sheep? Well, no, each each hive would have a uh, each queen would have a in my case would have a particular number. So I can then as the summer goes along, I'm recording various characteristics that that uh, colony has that and characteristics that have come for the queen. So if it's a good queen, then I can breed daughters from her. Uh, and produce new colonies uh, that will have a lot of her characteristics. Brilliant. OK, so I will let you move on from the, 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 the bees and the queens. So, um, you know, local flowers can impact on, the, you know, when I, often you see with, with honey, it tastes different. Every good honey tastes different. Why is that? Uh, every single uh, honey is produced from nectar, uh, which is produced by flowers. So the bees go out and they collect nectar from the flowers. So each um, flower produces a different type of nectar and that is turned into a different type of honey. So every single uh, honey is from a different flower or usually a different mixture of flowers. So um, so, so that means you get, but uh, say in Irish honey, we usually, the bees mix it quite a lot um, because we have a very short season and the, the weather tends to be very intermittent. Um, so they end up mixing a lot of it and that often gives you actually a more complex flavor, you know, and you get different mixtures. But there is some types of honey, like, I mean, a, a beekeeper's experience when you give them a jar of honey and uh, they can taste it and tell you what flower it's from or what most of it is from. Um, up in County Loud, we get um, bell header honey from the Cooley Mountains, which oh, is absolutely... Look, I'm looking at this honey that you're after bringing in, this beautiful um, Cooley Mountain honey, D- Treen Dunlear in County Loud. And this is World Cup winner, London Honey Show. Fear veal nairn. Brilliant. Wow. Sorry, I'm sorry. Am I drooling? Am I? Yeah. <laughs> so this is, what type, of, how would this so be? So this would be mostly, mm. this would probably be about maybe 50, 60% bellheader honey in it. And it, this bellheader honey has this port wine colour and has a beautiful kind of toffee-like flavour and it's, it's a garden rich. But there's others then. You have uh, honey from the lime trees uh, or, or linden it's called. Um, and that would be, have a kind of a peppermint flavour. Nice. Uh, in Ireland, the two biggest uh, most of honey in Ireland uh, uh, is collected, uh, about 80% of the honey in Ireland is probably collected in a three week period in July. Um, and that would come from white clover and blackberry blossom. Wow. Uh, whereas white clover is kind of a, a mild, quite thick honey. And then the blackberry is a little bit darker and has a, a, a little bit more flavor. But, you know, you get different mixtures of these. And so, you know, and it depends from year to year and area to area and even from hive to hive, it, it can change quite a lot. OK. And then there was a, a protest recently, wasn't there, about amongst beekeepers? Own. Can you tell us what happened there? Uh, basically, um, you know, there's been a lot of stories about beekeeping, beekeeping under threat and bees under threat. And this is not only the honeybee. There's actually, apart from the honeybee, there's actually 99 other species of bee live in Ireland. Uh, including wow. bumblebees, there's 20 species of bumblebee and there's all these species. and they're under threat. And one that people read uh, and hear about what's going on with bees and it, they hear about um, disease and hear about pesticide and, and weather and all that. But one of the biggest problems with bees is uh, lack of forage, um, habitat destruction, we're, we're flowers. To make 
a jar of honey um, you're talking about, you know, they estimate it depends on, on, on uh, what type of flower it is, but you're talking about maybe one jar of honey, you're talking about maybe two million flowers that the bees have to visit. So when it's flowers are disappearing from the countryside and in Ireland, one of the biggest in recent times with intensive agriculture, uh, often in parts of the countryside, the only flowers you get are actually on the hedgerows. And unfortunately, our hedgerows have taken an awful battering in recent years. And whereas they used to, uh, you know, produce these beautiful blooms, they're mostly hawthorn. There'd be a base of hawthorn, lovely white flower. And then, but you have all other things like uh, um, blackberry and all other flower, wildflowers in there as well. But unfortunately, in recent years, these, our hedgerows are being basically, um, not to put, uh, to, be, to be blunt, they've been butchered, you know, and they're getting smaller Why? and smaller and smaller. It's difficult to know because um, Chagas have actually extant guidelines on how to manage hedgerows. Um, and uh, but I have yet, would you believe, in all my years driving around the countryside of County Loud and other parts of Ireland, uh, I've yet to see a hedgerow that has been managed properly. They're all cut into these artificial square shapes. A lot of it seems to be to uh, um, just make the countryside look prettier. I don't know. Uh, you know, sometimes there might be an issue with road safety and you know, I must say beekeepers have no problem with that. But, you know, if you have a problem at a corner, there's no point cutting the 200 yards down the straight road or if you have a wide road. And just even this. So what was happening with this protest is that there's new legislation being brought forward at, at the moment. You're not allowed to cut hedgerows only for specific reasons between March the 1st and August 31st. And under new legislation, they're allowing hedge cutting in August when when the <laughs> hedgerows are still covered in flowers oh, no. um, and we think this is, we're going the wrong direction. What you should be doing is encouraging farmers to hold on to their hedgerows um, because often if hedgerows are managed properly, they will have no impact whatsoever on the arable land. You know, and there is no requirement. Uh, beekeepers are puzzled sometimes when they see farmers spending, investing so much in cutting these every year when if you give manage them properly, you only need to cut them every three years. Um, and it's something that really should be looked at in general, just because hedgerows are really important in Ireland. We have the lowest coverage of woodland uh, in Europe. I think an average in Europe for the amount of woodland is 30 percent. In Ireland, it's about 10 percent. Um, and this is where woodlands provide huge amount of forage from the trees and then all the plants growing around the base of the trees. Instead of woodlands, we have this m- fantastic, unique network of hedgerows. But unfortunately, um, in the last, especially in the last two decades, um, uh, we've lost a lot of that, you know, through, uh, you know, through intensive agriculture, but also through road building, through urbanization, where, you know, you could have um, where they uh, say a new estate is built and they remove the hedgerow and they might actually replace it with, um, say, an ornamental hedge. That's what I was about to say. You yeah. know, uh, why and not leave the original hedge? Have you seen place? any progress come out of that? Your pro- the protests? Um, as far as I know, there is the, the, the issue has been looked Section at Section 8 of the Heritage Bill, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I think as far as the last I heard, just talked to somebody last night, they're having another look at it and I think it might be going, I'm, I'm not too sure, but I think it might be going back to the Shannon again to have a look at that. The, the will, will you thing. keep in touch with us I on it? Indeed, um, yeah, because, yeah. It w- you know, as, uh, look, you can hear from my own question, there's so little we know about this area and yet it's something that I'm, I'm passionate about when yeah. I'm buying. Yeah, so absolutely. maybe I have the right end of it anyway, making sure that I buy the right thing yeah. and it's great to talk to you and find out more. We heard a lot about extinction mm. I'm aware that time is again against us in this, but it's really important extinction of bees and the importance of the Irish bee so we, we, we're seeing and listening to you now about why it's important to keep the hedgerows to keep them alive what's happening with bees Irish and international um, 
To tell you the truth, in Ireland, the honeybee is doing quite well. It's doing quite well. You know, there's a very good beekeeper movement. Um, but we have very we have very few honeybees in this country compared to to Europe. You know, we've actually the, the lowest density of honeybees. You know, um, and it's you know it's not regarded as uh, you know it's only regarded as a tiny part of, of agriculture in Ireland, whereas in other countries it, it, it's quite big. Um, but our bees are doing quite well. But in other parts of the world, there's uh, huge losses. I mean, you might have heard of colony collapse disorder, yes. where in a couple of years in America, they would have lost, uh, you know, a third or even up to 50 percent of their honeybees. Um, true, true, various. Uh, they were trying to track down the reasons. A lot of it probably is to do with that in some countries, honeybees are really intensively managed, especially for pollination um, in America. Uh, it's not unusual for a hive of bees to travel 10,000 miles in a year uh, to, you know, pollination. Um, in Northern California, something like a quarter of all the beehives in the United States are brought to one part of Northern Calif- California every year just to pollinate the almonds. So, but as well as oh that, you God. had disease um, and you have uh, pests as well. And you kind of get an interaction of all these together seem to have an effect on, on bees. In Ireland, um, we have a problem. We have this disease, Varroa which arrived in the country uh, 20 years ago now, and uh, it's in every hive in, 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 the, in the country. And it's a tiny little uh, mite, uh, and that can cause uh, a lot of problems. Uh, but we're, we're, we're learning to treat it, and we're, learning to, we're developing a lot of natural methods of treating uh, the varroa mite. Um, actually, in Ireland, I don't think there's, there's very few people actually use chemicals to treat the, this disease anymore. They, they use natural organic methods or are known as biotechnical methods, which Brilliant. kind of help the bees themselves um, to look to, to, to care of the, the pest numbers. You know? Always the best yeah. solution. Also, on a lighter note, there was a lot of uh, footage and things that went viral last summer and the summer before about bees, thousands of bees surrounding one or two cars. Did you see any of those images? Oh, what was that about? Constantly. One it was covered by from everyone from the BBC to Channel 4 right across. Uh, Gu- the Guardian. Is, yeah. When you're when you're t- looking at a hive of bees, bees you really can't look at the individual bee. You have to look at the hive itself. A colony is the correct word. As that is the animal. It's what's known as a superorganism. Okay. So that animal. So each individual bee you can regard as a cell in wow. that animal with all different functions. So, um, but when how that I can understand um, now why you're a teacher, and that is a brilliant exp- description of it. Yeah, really beautiful. It, it is. It's yeah. the bay, and in the last decade or so, this is how we're looking at, at at the colony. So when that colony needs to reproduce, what it does is it splits in two. So what happens is the old queen heads off with the older bees and heads off and sets off a new colony. And that could be usually that could be in uh, a hole in a tree. It could be in an old shed. It could be in a hole in the wall. And but what they do first is they usually land somewhere to get their bearings. And I see where this is going. The bees usually this is on a branch of a tree. But sometimes in urban areas, it could be like it could be on a car. It could be on a on a lamppost. Very common. And they take their bearings. They're usually there for an hour or so or two, a few hours. And they send out scouts to uh, find a suitable location. And the scouts will go and different scouts will send back and they come in and there's this kind of the bees actually scouts dance on the on the cluster of bees. And they have a debate about where the ideal nesting site. And then after a few hours, they head off to their their farm. Owen, when is the TV show? (laughs) This is amazing. 
So the one thing people, and it's really, really frightening, but the amazing thing is in this, so that's a swarm. It's called a swarm, and it's a natural instinct of bees. The amazing thing is when the bees are in a swarm, it's when they're at their most docile, because before they leave their original home place, they fill themselves up with honey, and like, you know yourself, after a good meal, you're much Food coma, they're wrecked. Yeah, well, they're just nice and quiet and relaxed. So they're actually in the swarm. They're generally much more docile than would be if you were near their own hive. And... You know, it, it can be uh, uh, generations ago, this was a common sight in the countryside. During the summer, there were swarms flying left, right and centre and country people wouldn't bat an eyelid. You know, if you see a swarm now in an urban area, people will tend to panic. panic. <laughs> and, 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 you know, uh, you, you can... You can uh, My family got caught in a swarm by accident, naturally, yeah. uh, down by the Shannon years ago. Um, and a lot of people would have done holiday, you know, had their holidays in the boat. So we stopped in Terryglass and got caught between, and the smallest village in Ireland, really, mm. I think two pubs and a post office. And one of, the pub, one of the pubs was the post office. And we got caught in, in amongst the swarm. So my dad's thing, don't move, don't panic, yeah. let them go. Because, of course, we panicked. I mean, there's yeah, um, yeah. probably of all the 12 kids, there might have been a th- that maybe nine of us there at that stage trying to not move. Can yeah, you yeah. imagine? Uh, but his advice is right. He was right. And or, I think walk slowly, we yeah. only about six of us ended up being stung. <laughs> oh, it has been a pleasure talking to you. I've been dying to know more about this. And honestly, every time I've scoured the shelves, I've said sometime I need to get to speak to talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about and feels the pain. And um, so it's well worth finding your local one. That is Dr. Owen McGillicutta. Um, and um, Owen is a member of the Loud Beekeepers Association so you'll see our interview on rt.e forward slash lifestyle and also find it on the lifestyle section of the RT News Now app and also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram thanks so much for listening I'm Tara Lurker Grant and you can find out a lot more about the lifestyle show on rt.e forward slash lifestyle that's it from me, Tara Lockery-Grant, and the Lifestyle Show for this week on RTE Radio 1 Extra. The show is produced by Ola McGowan, and you can listen back to our other Lifestyle Show podcasts on rte.ie forward slash lifestyle. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email us at rtlifestyle at rte.ie. Plus, you can tweet me on at Tara LG. That's Tara with a G-H. Goodbye for now, and if there's anything that you'd like to hear featured on the show, you know where to find us. The Lifestyle Show with Tara Lockery-Grant on RTE Radio 1 Extra. 